You folks have been extremely kind. I, I do appreciate every act of kindness, and you've been so thoughtful and early on this week and struggling with, with some congestion and that, and folks got me medication, offered to get me antibiotics, brought us dessert. Dessert always heals a wounded body. Amen? And uh, so many things, and then, of course, you've treated us just like kings. We, I don't think I've ever eaten so well in a single week in my life. It's just been glorious. Uh, I say this, you folks have wonderful food in Ireland, and uh, you can tell I like food. Uh, just ask my one brother, um, I'm part of the Stan and the Oliver and uh, Lauren Hardy team, Where, where's he at? <laughs> I'm back there. But, you know, it, it's just been a wonderful week, and of course the, the O'Gormans are just, just such sweet folks, and you have a wonderful pastor and pastor's wife and pastor's family, and I'm excited what the Lord's doing here in LifeGate Bible Baptist Church. And I'm really looking forward to 2016. I think God's going to do great things. I really do. I believe that. I'm an eternal optimist. you got to be. Amen. And this is a new year, and we can get plugged in. You know, I, I love the holidays. I love Christmas season. But I'm also anxious by the end of it for clean up everything, put it away so we can, we can charge into the new year. And I know you're looking forward to it as well. And you have many wonderful things on the horizon. And I just, I'm excited for you folks, what God's going to do. And we've had some precious meetings. The, the series on revival history, if that doesn't get you going, nothing will. You better check, see if you got a pulse. And uh, super exciting. I enjoyed that. I appreciate I've already told Brother John that I want him to come to our church and do the same series. And what a huge blessing that is. And my, my messages have been on a completely different track, trying to... Um, more of just a practical Christianity. My burden lies with um, young Christians, new converts, folks growing to maturity. You know, I, the Great Commission is to go out and preach the gospel to, to win folks to Christ, to see them follow the Lord and believers' baptism, and then to teach them to observe all things, to disciple them. And, and that's really where my heart lay. And, uh, you know, I, I just uh, want to see Christians make it through. And I'm so tired of watching the devil just pick them off. You know, the babes in Christ, you know, he, he's a roaring lion. If you ever watch a documentary on a lion, you know, they're, you know, you wonder why some animals, you know, why were they made? <laughs> you know, and, and lions, they're, they're, just, they're just vicious. And the devil's like a roaring lion. You know, a lion just kind of lurks behind, and, and he's looking for the, the, the loner. He's looking for the weak. He's looking for the young, and he just devours them. And, and, you know, my burden is that, that Christians will get saved, the, the fall of the Lord in baptism, and then grow and become solid, become strong, and let God use them. And you'll find that the greatest joy in the Christian life is duplicating yourself, multiplying. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. And boy, I tell you what, you know, I, I've, I've done a lot of things over the years, but nothing brings joy, nothing brings peace, nothing brings contentment, fulfillment, happiness, joy. Like bringing somebody to Christ and then discipling them and, and helping, watching them get a hold of it. And it, it's a glorious thing. And, and, you know, you can invest your life in others. And, you know, and it's not lost. Our, our, you know, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And it's never lost. And I think of how many things that I labored for as a young man that, that you know, they're in vain. You know, I remember when, when God called me to preach, I was about six, seven years into building my own business. 
And I thought I was going to kind of, my idea of serving God was, I'm going to get rich and, and help God out. <laughs> I, I think if I'd have got rich, I would probably forgot God, to, you know, know, the truth be told. But, you know, I think about those labor, and I would work, you know, I, I would, I'd be at the shop at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, I'd, I'd, I'd work to 12.30 at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, I'm out there fixing, getting things set up for the next day, and six, seven days a week, and going at it, and, and I look at all that labor, and, and I look back, and, you know, I think that was really wasted. I mean, you know, God used it at the time, and, and, and it helped me, and, and I'm still, you know, drawing, you know, a check from it, so to speak, these days, but... You know, what was I laboring for? You know, but then one day God called me to preach, and, and I found out the greatest thing I can do, the most rewarding, the most fruitful, would be to labor for the Lord Jesus because our labor is not in vain. And, and, and I hope this week, you know, we talked on Saturday morning about everything is new now. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And, and just the fact that it's a new starting point, you know, it's not, you're not the old person. That guy, you know, died with Christ, was buried with Christ, you know, he's separated from indwelling sin. The guy that comes up out of the grave is a new creation, literally, and something that never existed before. Your spirit and the Lord's spirit are now one spirit, and you can't separate that. And, you know, and we have all the potential of Jesus Christ. When Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, I think he meant, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And so we talked about, our, you know, everything's new now. We talked about our new attire for the, for the new you, and some things were to put off, and some things were to put on, and, and how Christians need to get rid of that old wardrobe, you know, spiritually, so to speak, and, and put on the new wardrobe that, that, that becomes the new creation, the new man that you are, the new woman that you are. And then in Sunday school, we talked about a new path for our new life. And, and how we're to take those truths and apply them to our future path and the way we'll go and, 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 you know, you know, reckon that you're in dead indeed on the sin. Just count on it, depend on it, and that you're alive on the Christ. Amen? And, and take those truths and, and go forward armed with that in your mind. The Bible says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen? And then in, in the morning service, we, we talked about are you ready to walk again? Amen? And, and then, uh, yes, Yesterday or this morning, actually, um, today, we, I, we, I talked about looking out for the tares. Because young Christians get started, and, and I, it, this, is, this has been a great heartbreak for me, because I, I just love to see folks grow in Christ. I want everybody to get what I got. I, you know, I, I don't know how to say it any other way. I, I, I want them to love my Jesus. I want them to, to know the goodness of the Lord and watch God. You know, God can lift you to levels you never dreamed of. You know, years ago, I never would have dreamed I'd be standing in, in Dublin, Ireland, preaching the gospel. Who can think of that? And I think it's a wonderful privilege. And God's already blessed me beyond anything I could ever ask or think. And, and, and so, you know, we got to look out for the tares. We got to look out for those fiery darts because while God's blessing and why you're growing, the Satan is also planting tares. He's, he's shooting fiery darts. He's putting those seeds and, and you got to be careful. And like brother John said, we're not ignorant of his devices. And then tonight we're going to look at a new helper. A new helper for the new you. Amen. If you'll join me over in 2 Kings chapter number 4. Second Kings chapter number 4. 
Now, I want to say on the onset, I do not have an axe to grind. I don't. I really don't. And and if I did, I'd never grind it in somebody else's pulpit. Amen? I don't grind it in my own pulpit. You know, I I don't want to take my issues. I remember one time uh, I used to say to my uh, boy, you know, he'd get out of sorts, my my youngest get out of sorts. I said, son, you got issues? And uh, one day I was sitting down and... Landon came over, my youngest, he came over, sat down, plopped down next to me, and he goes, he looks up at me, he goes, Dad, I got issues. <laughs> I, I try to not bring my issues to the pulpit, amen? And, uh, <clears throat> but 2 Kings chapter number 4, verse number 8, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story in the Word of God. And the Bible says, and it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where it was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said under her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on the day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said unto Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, or she said unto him, or he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king? You know, he, he had connections. Or to the captain of the host, and she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And shut the door upon him and went out. And she called on to her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? Is it, it, it is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. And then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did 
I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awaked. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon the child and the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Let's pause for prayer. Our Father, a great God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this beautiful story in the Word of God. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would just help us to see some wonderful truths tonight. And Lord, help us to see the importance of this relationship. And Lord, bless now and lead by thy Spirit. And Lord, I pray nothing would grieve you, nothing would hinder your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray all hearts will be open before, and we do love and praise thee. Lord, we thank you for this glorious life. Bless now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, in this passage, we have the wonderful story of Elisha the prophet and this nameless Shunammite woman, and it's a beautiful story. You know, she recognizes the man of God, and, and she wants him to be a part of her life. You know, she... I, I love that. Look back in verse 9. And she, and she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passeth by us continually. You know, you don't hear that a lot of days, a lot nowadays. You know, nowadays, a lot of, a lot of preachers, a lot of men of God are, you know, Wall Street executives. They're, you know, they're, they're entertainers. I know a, I know a preacher that on Sunday morning, the near us, the the praise team, the band will kind of get things going and get it good, it good and warmed up for his entrance, and and he runs in and he slides across the platform to the pulpit and he's got it timed so he stops right in front of the pulpit. <sighs> Want to see it again? <laughs> That's refreshing. I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. You know, Elisha had a testimony. He was a, he was a holy man. I think God's servants ought to be holy. We serve a holy God. We preach from a holy book. We ought to be holy people. 
And she perceived that he was a holy man of God that passed by continually. That means he wasn't a novice. He, he, she saw him ten years ago. She saw him five years ago. She saw him this year. And he was the same yesterday as he is today. He's been sticking by the stuff. He's been faithful. And then she said in verse 10, Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, in the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. You know, it was important that, you know, she recognized, first of all, that he was a holy man of God, but she wants him to be a part of their life. It's interesting, she, play, she provides a place for him in their home, and God, in turn, uses him to bless this woman and help her in her great time of need. And like I said, it's a wonderful story. And today, you know, it, I, today there's neither apostles or prophets in the original sense, and there's no longer a need for either of these offices because the Word of God has replaced both of these. You know, but God has given to the church some New Testament gifts to the church, and fan over, if you would, to Ephesians chapter number 4. In Ephesians chapter number 4, you know, God gave some gifts. That was Old Testament. Like I said, many of those offices don't exist anymore. We, we have the completed Word of God, and all the prophecy is recorded for us. And the apostles, they had to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They had to, had to come, in and come in and go out with the Lord Jesus Christ. So nobody, unless he's pretty old, about 2,000 years old, could be an apostle today. But God gave some other gifts that are still intact. We read over in Ephesians 4, and verse number 8. It says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Drop down with me in verse number 11. And here's the gifts. And he gave some apostles and some prophets. Like I said, these, these offices are no longer needful or viable. And he gave some evangelists. That would be Brother John. Praise God for the gift of the evangelists. I praise God for the evangelists. Uh, John, you know, and other evangelists. been a huge help in my life, especially Brother John. And he gave some pastors, teachers. And we're told in verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. So God gives, gives these gifts, and you have the evangelist, you have the pastor, teacher. I believe that, that's talking of... One in the same, but you can divide it if you like. You're not going to mess up my theology. And, and, but he gives these for a reason, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. And the goal is till we all come into unity of the faith and unto the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, the goal of the church, a uh, uh, goal, you know, the, the, the success of the church isn't found numerically, though, you know, God, God is a God of numbers, and, and I like numbers, and, and I wouldn't mind a few more, you know, s- seated in our pews, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But success isn't found just numerically, it's not found financially. Success is found, is, is found when Christians become Christ-like. You know, you can have thousands in church and you can have millions of dollars in property, but if folks aren't growing spiritually, 
That's not success, not in a biblical sense. It, it may impress the Wall Street kind of churches, but I don't think it would impress the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, you know, nowadays it's become quite popular to diminish the importance of a New Testament church. I can't tell you how many times people have pointed at their backyard, you know, pointed at some other object, pointed at some and said, there's my church. And I said, well, you might enjoy being there, but that's not a church. That's not church. And, and, and it's, 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 you know, because of things like YouTube and Facebook and whatever other kind of book, I don't know. I'm not up on all the things. I don't know. I've never tweeted in my life, you know. And uh, <laughs> my phone tweets when I get a text message, a tweet, tweet. <laughs> uh, but I've never done, I've never, I've never, well, I take that back. My secretary got me on Facebook and put in what I wanted, so I Facebooked once through her. I couldn't do it again by myself. I, I'm really not into that. I, I just not. I don't have anything against some of it, some of it. But... <laughs> You know, the importance of New Testament church is being greatly diminished. It's, it's being derided. People are saying, you don't need the church. You know, we can worship God here, there. Well, that wasn't God's plan. You know, the beauty of the church, I, 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 I've seen all week long. I, I love, and I can tell when a church is strong, when a church is healthy. When the service is over, you don't run out of the door like you're sick of being near one another. You, you stick around, you fellowship. This is, your, this is your family. You know, there's things that you can fellowship with inside here and rejoice over in here. Nobody else is going to get. They don't get it. You ever go to a lost person and tell them about somebody you led to Christ yesterday? You know, it's just so unrewarding. You walk away saying, wow, that was a bummer, <laughs> you know. And, and it's, it's just so unrefreshing. But boy, tell a brother and sister in Christ and, and, and feel the joy. Because it's, like it's like a baby got birthed into our family, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. You know, and the, <clears throat> so the New, the New Testament church is, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's so important. And then another thing that, that is become quite popular, and, and sometimes, sometimes because of bad examples, is to diminish the role of the New Testament pastor. You know, because some have made some grave mistakes that they will stand in front of God and answer for. We don't throw the baby out with the wash. You know, God gave some pastors. Now, I know there's some I wonder who gave them. But God gave some too. Amen? And... You know, let me just say this first of all. I said, I have no axe to grind. I, I, I'm not up here going to straighten you out. Let's go. <laughs> not doing that. He, he's not cried on my shoulder said, they won't listen to me. <laughs> I'm not bitter about my church. I love my church. They're the sweetest folks on earth. So I'm not grinding an axe. I just see the importance of this. And, you know, first of all, the New Testament pastor is not a Lord. He's not the Lord of the church. Only Jesus Christ is Lord of the church. He's an under-shepherd in, 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 in the smallest sense. You know, Jesus is the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, 
you know, the, the bishop of our souls. And, and the New Testament pastor is, is an under-shepherd. He, he's the laborer for the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Lord loves His people. He loves His children, which is the church, by the way. It's not this building, it's you. And He loves you, and, and, and God sends in a man to lead you and to help you. The, the title of my message this evening is A New Helper. And so he's not the Lord of the church, and, and, and only Jesus holds that position. And neither does a New Testament pastor, neither does he have absolute power or, or authority. Only Jesus Christ has that. Amen? And, you know, and, and so, you know, we're, we're, I'm not trying to set up a, an emperor here. I'm not trying to set up a king. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, you know, bless God, you follow this man no matter what. That's garbage. That gets people drinking Kool-Aid down in Africa somewhere, you know? That'll get you killed, you know? And, and we don't do that. We got enough sense. We got the Holy Spirit to tell us when something's wrong. But his, his leadership is primarily one of influence and example. You know, God, God calls, a, call, calls a man to, to come in and be an example, and, and, and he sends him on ahead of time. And, you know, that's why God doesn't use a novice. You know, you're not to ordain a novice, because he's not far enough ahead that he can lead and show you. So he's got to be matured enough in the faith to, to be able to show you some things and help you with some things. But look with me over in First Peter, Hebrews, James, Peter. Look in First Peter chapter number 5. In 1 Peter chapter number 5, like I said, his, his, his leadership is primarily one of influence and example. 1 Peter 5 and verse number 1, of course, this is the apostle Peter speaking to, writing to, talking to the pastors and he says, the elders which are among you, elders, which another word for pastor, there's, there's different ones in the Bible. Poimon, I like that one, shepherd, you know. Um, but the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight there. See, that's the pastor's responsibility. You know, he's the overseer. He's got to take the oversight. One day he's going to have to stand in front of God and give an account for the direction and, and the doctrine and, and the discipline of the local New Testament church in which God sent him the pastor. You know, I, I, I like, you know, uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. I've preached before. I don't believe God call, or the church calls a pastor. I believe God sends a pastor. Amen. You call somebody, you'll get whatever you holler for. But I believe God will send a man to that church. You know, God loves his church. He's not going to leave it without a shepherd. And he says this, and it says, uh, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. In verse 3, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. There it is. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So there is a chief shepherd. You know, a pastor understands, and I know your pastor understands that, you know, this isn't his church. You know, this Cornerstone Baptist Church isn't my church. It's the Lord Jesus Christ's church. 
You know, I'm just his servant. I'm an under shepherd. He's given me, you know, I'm like the steward of the house. And he's given me a responsibility and I'm going to stand and answer someday. But you know, on the other side of that, like the Shunammite woman, there ought to be a recognition. If God felt that his children needed, needed a leader, needed a shepherd, we ought to recognize that need in our lives. And like no Christian can go without a church and, and grow healthily, let me say it that way, no Christian should be without a shepherd. Hey, listen, I know it's become very popular. I, hey, you know, I, I know as much as that man knows, and, and you may very well. But, you know, I've noticed this. There's some giftings that God gives for the office. They're office giftings. And God will give you discernment and insight and leadership. I, I was listening to a pastor one day talk, a preacher one day talk, and and he, he, was, he pastored a very large ministry and would have several folks every Sunday, every week come in for counsel. And he said, I always keep a notepad and a pen right there on my desk. And he said, in the process of counseling folks, he said, God always teaches me something, gives me something right there at that moment for that need because they need me to be able to help them. And he said, I, I keep that notepad and pen because as soon as they walk out, I hurry and write it down so I don't forget it. Because God gives them that. Because he needs it for his job. And, and so there ought to be a recognition. If, if, if God sensed the need, there ought to be a recognition of a need of a pastor in our lives. You know, I, <clears throat> I don't know what Christians do that just, just, just smoke their pastor, burn their pastor. I don't understand that. You know, I got saved in August of 1990, and my pastor, Dr. Luther Stanley, the First Baptist Church of Garden City, Michigan... You know, he, he became my pastor. I joined a church, and, and, and he was just a, just a prince of a man. Still is. He's still pastor, and he's in his mid-70s. And just a prince of a man. Godly, sweet couple, Mrs. Stanley. They're like my parents. I just love them dearly. And, you know, and then, God, I met my wife and my father-in-law pastors. And, and boy, I left through tears my pastor's side. But I knew God was moving me over to my father-in-law's church. And, and for another five and a half years, I sat under my father-in-law. And then one day, God asked me to go fill the pulpit for a little church out in the country with 12 people and six kids, 12 adults. And you know, Kids are people too, so let me rephrase that. <laughs> They're just little people, you know? And then uh, 12 adults and six kids. And, and I went out there and filled, and, and God called me to that church. It was straddled. I straddled the week of 9-11 when 9-11 happened. And, you know, can you imagine... Taking that in and then you know, trying to figure out if God's calling you to this church. And God called me to that church. And, and once again, through tears, I left my pastor's side. You know what? But I have a vibrant relationship with both of these men. And, and you know, I love them dearly. And, and, you know, they've already both stated, you're preaching my funeral, you know. And, and every big day and everything, they, they want me there. And, of course, you know, one's my father-in-law, I guess, you know, nepotism, I don't know. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the thing is, is, you know, I, I love their input in my life. And, and they become one of my most important parts of my life. You know, there, there's very few things that, you know, as a husband, I believe we'll stand in front of God and we'll, we'll answer for our family. You know, as a father, as a husband, 
You know, remember when Adam and Eve, Eve kind of blew it? She's the one, you know, she did it. Ladies, own up. <laughs> she dropped the ball. You know. But it was Adam that took the hit. From there on out, you know, say, hey, wait a minute. And Eve all fall. <laughs> it didn't fall that way. It was Adam. Why? Because he's corporately responsible, not only for the human race, but for his family. And so I believe a man will stand for his family. But, you know, another relationship that, 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 is, that is vitally important is the pastor, you know, church member relationship. Do you realize one day they're going to give an account? They are. They are. And that's such an important relationship. And, and it ought to be, you know, I, I chose that story of the Shunammite woman there with Elisha because I think it's such a beautiful representation of what it ought to be. She recognized this is a holy man of God, and she wanted him to be a part of their home, a part of their life. And, 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 and in return, his heart was drawn out to her. You know, I know as a pastor, aren't you drawn to those that are just open to you? You know, you can't help it. You know, you want to get the most out of your pastor, love him. Just love him. Amen? And recognize your need for a pastor in your life. You know, so there should be recognition. There should be appreciation, you know, for the gift that God has given you. You know, you should, I, you know, I, I, <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> I had to have an out-of-body experience to do it, but I preached this to my church. <laughs> Talk about weird, huh? <laughs> but it wasn't for me, like Paul said, not that I desire a gift of you, but I wanted the best for them. Amen. I had trust me. I had to, <laughs> like now. This isn't me. This is this other guy preaching, and but you know, I told our folks. I said, listen, it may not be much of a gift. I understand, but it's a gift, and it's God's gift. I, I, old Dallas Billington, Akron Baptist Temple down there. <laughs> he, he wrote one book, God is Real. Why don't everybody know God is real? It's just a testimony praising God. But he was talking about young preacher. He had a young preacher. And, and from that church, you know, this is back 40s. They built it during the World War II. And tremendous ministry. Built about 10,000 or so. And um, he, uh, he said he had one of his young men come into his office. And he said, hey, there's a little church over there that needs a pastor. He said, now, they're not much. He said, but neither are you. <laughs> and, he, and he sent him over there to pastor, pastor that church, you know. So there should be recognition. There should be appreciation. You know, you ought to appreciate any gift, right? And then there should be some participation. Participation in what they're trying to teach you. Look with me, back up in Hebrews chapter 13 for a moment, would you please? In Hebrews chapter number 13, there, there ought to be some participation. I'm sorry, Brother Gorman, I hope I'm not making you extremely uncomfortable. No pastor wants to hear somebody preach on a pastor, but I guarantee you I'm not berating anybody. No axes to grind, okay? Uh, <clears throat> Hebrews 13, verse number 7. The Bible says, remember them which have the rule over you. It's talking about leadership. Have, who have spoken unto you the word of God. And it says this, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. You know, the end of their life. Where, what are they trying to achieve? Where are they trying to go? And consider that. You know, you know when he's not gaining personally, personally, because you're growing in Christ. Well, I take that back. He is because his, his heart is being filled with joy. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's what we live for. But, you know, this isn't for him. But it says, it says, whose faith follow. 
So there ought to be some participation. And, and you know, we, we, we need to get involved and get on board. And, you know, when the pastor gets up and, and he teaches you on soul winning, he teaches you how to witness, he teaches you how to, how to help and how to do this. And when it comes time to sign up folks and get folks involved, get on board. Amen? Whose faith follow? Because he's trying to bring you somewhere. You know, this, he, he's, he's not getting rich. Have you figured out Baptist preachers don't get rich? You know, it's really not about the money. I was raised, you know, my mother, you know, it's all about the money. Well, <laughs> she doesn't believe that anymore, you know. <laughs> she knows it's not about the money. And he, he's not probably, but he's trying to help you. He's trying to bring you somewhere. And he's going to give you opportunity. He's, he's, you know, get, there should be some participation, and then next, there should be some application of the truths you're learning. You know, like an ointment, it's only effective when it's applied. Go back with me. I want you to look at a verse here. Look at Joshua 1.8. I'll get there sooner or later. Joshua 1.8. The Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. But did you notice where you become prosperous and successful when you observe to do? It's not just knowing. You know, we already know how to, we got an expression our way, I already know how to grow better corn than I'm growing. You know, and, and we already know, and it's not what we know that, you know, that's going to produce the fruit. It's what we do with what we know, you know, for him that knoweth to do better. Amen. And, you know, and so you, there should be some application. Apply those truths. Don't don't let them go in one ear and out the other. You know, some people are are you know, sometimes our folks will sit there and, and it's like they're in a college course for their whole life. And they never graduate. They never go out and live it. They never utilize it. Hey, listen, you know, the word of God and the truths of God's word are like an ointment. They're only effective if they're applied. And as long as the ointment's in the jar and you don't apply it to the sore, it's not going to help you. So you got to make application. And when he exhorts you and encourages you to do so, listen, get on board. I'm trying to help you in 2016. I think these things are so important. And then there should be some accommodation of the pastor in our lives. I, I think you ought to make room for a pastor not to come and move in with you. But you ought to have a place in your home, in your family. You know, there was a day when the man of God was held in pretty high esteem you know, there, there was a day when, when kids would look up and say, that's the pastor. You know, and people, oh, preacher, oh, part, you know, part, what do they call him over here? Something, pastor? Okay, pastor, okay. I don't know what the common term is out there, but, you know, they'd see the preacher, and, and boy, people, you know, they, 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 they just, they respected that, but they were glad to see him. And, and, and boy, it was, it was kind of a big thing. Boy, nowadays, you know, you're almost afraid to tell somebody you're a pastor. You're like, oh, one of those, huh? You know? But it was a big thing. And can I tell you something? Our homes were stronger than two. You know? When, when, when in the home, you know, the, you, know, you know, never have preacher for lunch. 
He's got too many bones anyways. <laughs> but listen, never have preacher for lunch, you know, and, and, and you know, teach your children, listen, this is our pastor. And, you know, and pray, you know, pray to God that he, he never ruins that confidence. But, you know, make a place for him in your home. This Shunammite woman, what a beautiful story. She says, that's a holy man of God. And I want him in our home. I want him in our life. And, and she makes accommodations for him. And, and, you know, and, you know, I realize in a bigger ministry, not everybody can have him over for lunch or, you know, special occasions and that, you know. Um, and, and sometimes that can be hard. But make, make a place for him in your life. Because this is somebody that God has sent alongside of you, not the rule over you. He's your brother in Christ. But he's got, God's given him a gift. God's given him an office that he sent him to be your help. You know, this Christian life's a perilous one. And it's becoming more complicated and more perilous. You know, the devil, I said it earlier, he can hit you from a thousand directions. He really can. And he's such a stinking rotten thing. He is. I, I whatever. <laughs> uh, but he, he's out there trying to destroy you. You know what? And that man can help navigate the waters. He can help see you through. He's seen it probably before. You know, you might be young in Christ and you're just coming across these things and maybe you've not learned yet. I remember my pastor in Garden City, the, remember Promise Keepers? I don't know if it's still going. Is this still going? Oh. Well, that kind of hit the day and it was kind of big and, and all the men were leaving to go to Promise Keepers. Or some men were leaving. Uh, technically, back it up. Boop, boop, boop. Not all hit my pastor. Got us all. But I was a new convert. There's a couple other new converts. And one of them heard about this Promise Keepers through some connection, whatever. And he said, hey, let's go to Promise Keepers. It's, it's, it's so cool. There's, you know, 5,000 men. We're all swaying together. And we're all praising God. And they got the music. And, and uh, I said, wow. You know, I mean, you know when you're, you're a newborn Christian? You, you know, just, you're an open, you know, you're just a sponge, you know, you just, you just suck it all in. I remember going to the Christian bookstore and just, you know, spent all the money I had, bought all this cool stuff off the, and I got there and I found out the walls of Jericho fell down a thousand years before Joshua got there. And, you know, and, and I'm like, wow, you know, and, and, uh, you know, just all the Christian bookstores are terrible places. Hey, you saw that. All right, let's trade her in. Thank you. Now, my home church, they would never do that because they know that means I preach longer. <laughs> Amen. It's okay. He puts soap in it, so I won't drink that much, right? But, you know, it's a dangerous place. The Christian bookstores, you know, you ought to, your pastor can help you with that, by the way. You know, most of what's in these Christian bookstores isn't Christian. I think the devil writes more books than God's people. But anyways, this promise keepers come along, and, and you know, it, it sounded good. I'm like, oh, how neat, you know. I thought it was just us. You know, there's other people that believe this, you know. So we all got ready to go, and my pastor heard about it, and he said, can I talk to you? He said, don't go to that. And they started laying it all out, how, you know, we're hooking up with unbelievers, and, you know, and how it's water and the faith, you know. And he gave me the whole rundown. And, you know, and, and I heeded the admonishment. I said, you know what, I'm not going, okay. He don't believe in it. I'm just going to stay away from it. 
you know, and the other guy, the other new Christian, he's like, he's like, you know, hey, I'm going anyways, and what does he know, and so forth. You know, he went, and he found out that, you know, these other guys that call themselves Christians, they could smoke dope, they could drink alcohol, they could, you know, do all this wicked stuff. And guess what, who, was, who, guess who wasn't in church in about a month? Guess who went right back to the haunts of the world? Guess who went right back to what he got saved out of? You know? But you know who saved me from that? My pastor. My pastor. So, there ought to be, I think there ought to be some accommodation in our lives. And, and you know, you ought to make room for them in your family. And, and you ought to make room for them in your home. And, and you know, you, you ought to, listen, you know, say, that's, that's, that's the preacher. And, you know, God, God put them in our lives to help us, to help protect us, to help guide us. You know, like the shepherd of old, you know, the rod and the staff, they comfort me. You know, and you guide, but you also beat off the wolves, you know. And can I say this in passing, and we're, we're about done. But never use the pastor as a belt with your children. You know, I have some folks in our church, I've had folks in our church that, that not meaning bad at all, but the 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 kind of you know bear down on their children about something and tell them no and 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 then to say well let's go see what the pastor has to say you know now I'm the rod now I'm the whipping stick you know hey listen don't put the pastor in that place because you want your little kids to grow up loving them not saying here comes the ogre you know here comes the joy killer you know you don't want them to grow up thinking about that and i know you wouldn't do it intentionally but boy when you use the pastor to be the enforcer of what you're trying to teach your children you know say honey we don't do this cuz that doesn't glorify god and that could, that could hurt us that's not going to help us don't use them as a whipping stick don't use them as a rod and i know you wouldn't do that and really may not even understand the dynamics but your kids can grow up resenting the pastor because he's the final say you know, and, and don't, by the way, use them as a rod to exert your authority in the church. <laughs> I've had people run, to run around and say, you know, well, the pastor said this or the pastor said that. The problem is I didn't say it. <laughs> you know, and I found out I'm just this mean-spirited guy correcting everybody. <laughs> and I didn't know it, you know. So don't, don't, you, you know, don't use the pastor as your rod of authority either. And then, next to last here, there should be a consecration of the pastor. You know, look with me. Can you join me in 1 Timothy, would you please? 1 Timothy. Boy, I'm way back there. 1 Timothy chapter 5, I'm sorry. 1 Timothy chapter number 5 and verse number 17. The Bible says in verse number 17, Let the elders... That rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scriptures say, Thou shalt not muzzle the, the, muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Then look in verse number 19. It says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now I'm going to read on. I'm going to back up. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others may fear also. It says, and I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, 
doing nothing by partiality. So listen, be consistent in what he's saying. It doesn't matter if you like the preacher or not. Be consistent. Observe it. Don't have partiality. Don't have preferences. Well, I like this preacher, so I do it. But I don't like that pastor, so I won't do it. No, we're, we're to observe these things without per- preference, without partiality. And it says, listen, them that sin before all, or them that sin rebuke before all. That others may fear also. Hey, listen, you know, if, if he's sinned, if he's, you know, caught in wicked sin, you know, that's a shame. Amen? And that's a wicked thing. And, and I'm not saying just some blind allegiance, you know. But look here, back in verse 19, it says, Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. And let me mention this. Make sure the witnesses aren't a stacked deck. You know, two, three other disgruntled people. You know, find somebody with a sweet, honest spirit. But against an elder, don't receive an accusation. In other words, don't let somebody come in and whisper in your ear and say, did you hear what pastor said? Hey, that's the hiss of Satan. You know? I remember one time a man went down and I said something in my sermon and I'm not sure how I said it, you know? I got a few barnacles on me. And he went down and, and man, he was all riled up and he, and he went down and, and he got this other guy all riled up and he was in junior church. And the guy that said it, well, later on he figured out that's what wasn't what I meant and, you know, he was okay. But the guy told, left the church. Now, if he would have followed that, he would have said, you know what? Let's, let's go to the horse's mouth. <laughs> and let, I'm going to hear what he had to say. Or, or, you know, get some earnest men or some good men. And, and you know, let's see. But don't, 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 don't let somebody whisper in your ear. Because, you know, what Satan knows that your pastor can be the biggest helper and friend you'll have. And God sent him in your life to help you. And to be a blessing and, and a guide. And, you know, he's been down a road. It's not his first time to the rodeo, you know. So do you ever use that over here? No, it's a new saying, use it. It's free. I want no royalties. It's free. But don't take an accusation. You know, that's my pastor. I don't want to hear that. You know? And, 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 and if you really have that, I believe that, you need to go talk to him. Because I'm telling you, a lot of Christians are ruined. You know, I see, I see this, and, and I'm sure your pastor can tell you, and Brother John and others, or Pearlman. When somebody falls out with their first pastor, you know, am I right? They end up falling out with their next pastor, and their next pastor, and they just kind of got a whole string. Because they start down a road. Now, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Evil surmisings? What do you want to call it? Don't go there. Don't go there. It's dangerous. You know what? You're not going to destroy that man. You'll break his heart. He'll get up. He'll go on. But you can ruin your life. You know how many people with teenagers I've seen do that? That they destroyed their kids. Destroyed them. They won't go to church. They won't get saved. Destroy them. 
The only one giggling is Satan. Folks, it's terrible. It's terrible. So put a hedge about them. Please. I love you. I'm trying to help you. And then last of all, let's close here. There should be supplication for the pastor. Look over in 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter number 3. Look in verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But you know, here was, here was Paul saying, pray for us, we need it. <clears throat> you know who has the biggest bullseye on his back in this whole place? Preacher. I know Christians right now that a man of God fell, that they looked up to, they loved, they did everything I'm saying. And he fell into sin, and it destroyed their entire family. Now, we shouldn't put all our apples in, you know, that basket, so to speak. But simple truth is, not a lot of folks are strong enough, mature enough in the faith to get over that. You know, I think back in my own walk of faith, if my pastor, my first pastor, had fallen into sin, I don't know if I could overcome that, if that wouldn't have destroyed me. You know, he's got a bigger bullseye on his back than anybody in this auditorium. Folks, you need to pray for him. You pray for him. I remember one time dealing with something and things were said and feelings were heard. And and I remember my wife asking the folks we were talking with, counseling with, says, she said, and she stopped. And she said, do you pray for him? Do you pray for them? With tears rolling down her cheeks, do you pray for them? And we're just men. And the best of us are men at best. We're men with a hard job. Not physically. I've done harder. But emotionally. Because if you love people and the devil hurts them, it hurts. I guarantee your pastor loves you. And he wants to help you. And we're on this, I hate to use these popular terms, but we're on this journey. The revival journey, okay? John's book, not so bad. But we're on this journey and the enemies are multiplied. Back in the day, say, no TV, problem solved. (laughs) No theater. Not today. It's everywhere. And there's so many pitfalls. There's so many diversions. There's so many ways that your life can be destroyed. He can help you. He can help you. Will you let Him? Let's go on to victory. Amen? Amen? Let's win this thing. Let's give Satan a black eye. Yeah? Yeah, at a minimum, right? But you're going to need His help. And He can help you. Ask His advice. 
Let them help you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight, you know, we've covered so much, so much. In a moment, I'm going to ask the pastor to come and extend the invitation to his, his flock, his children, or God's children, but his brothers and sisters. But we've covered so much ground this week. I know my heart's been stirred by the, what God's done in the past. Makes me hungry for what God can do today. You know, Brother John, just he, may, he makes it sing, doesn't he? But we've also looked at this new life from so many angles and, and all, that, all that we need to do and all that can happen. And, and quite frankly, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take you getting with the Lord. It's going to take you seeking His face. It's going to take you walking by faith and not by sight. It's going to take you being careful, staying close to the Lord. It's going to take a lot. But God's given us all the tools. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us the Word of God. He's given you a man of God. And folks, I pray you'll take all of those this year and let God do something wonderful in your life. Let God bless you. Let God, God wants to use you and bless you and, and just make your life. Jesus said, I come that you ha- might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's what the Lord wants. I don't know where you're at individually. I know this, you have a sweet spirit and an open spirit. I've sensed it this week. But whatever your need is tonight, wherever you're at, let the Lord bless you. I'm going to ask the pastor to come now and do the invitation. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Listen, God has spoken to you right where you are. Just do business with Him. Never let the moment pass, and never let it. Never let you. Never think that you know it'll come around for you again. As God has dealt with you, respond to Him just where you sit right now. Just say yes, Lord. Whatever it is that you're asking of me, Lord, yes. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word to us tonight. Thank you for your preacher. Uh, thank you for the blessing of hearing from you. Now, Lord, would you take your word and would you use it mightily in our hearts? Lord, the decisions that are made tonight, Lord, would you take and bless through them, Lord? Uh, would you help us all, Lord, me and your dear people, Lord, to walk in a closer way with you? You know, would you bless this church, Lord? Lord, any barriers to revival, to the flow, to the move of your spirit, Lord, would you remove them? Lead us and guide us, Lord, in what to do. Blessed Spirit of the living God, though, there's a work to be done, there's a nation to be reached, there's a, a war to win. Oh, Lord, bless us, Lord, that we might focus on the war and not be sidetracked on all the other issues. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.